This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Boom Rookies presented by ESPN. I am Matt Bungard and with me today are still in Brisbane, still sucking every last sinew of magic that he can. Nick Campton, hello. I'm cracking open the bones of Magic Round and just sucking out the marrow. You're like when Principal Skinner gets stuck <laughs> under the bookshelf and he's just <laughs> searching for any sort of morsel of magic that he can find. That's you. Well, I, I I will say, I think this is the first episode of the show that's ever been recorded where one of the hosts has had Suncorp Stadium in his eyeline the entire time. With mm. where I'm staying, I can look out the window and I can I can see it. I can see it rising maybe about 300, 400 metres away. So will that bring some some skerricks, some sprinkles of magic to this show? Who can dusting, say? dusting, perhaps. Yeah, I'm not saying you should walk around the corner and um, knock on the door of Footy Church and make them a firm offer using the Patreon money, but I'm also not saying that. <laughs> well, the night is uh, young. Absolutely. Um, we've just watched a game of National Rugby League. Uh, the Melbourne Storm, they're back. A 24-16 win in a just... A, a game that was, in my opinion, low on quality, but high on incidents. High on There's incidents. So many incidents. Like a lot of stuff happened. I don't know if any of it was good, but mm. a, a lot of things definitely occurred. And, and then probably the this best was a game, thing that this happened. Was a game, this was a game for the this was a game for the journos, not for the fans. Pro- probably like, the best thing that happened was the Coates try at the end that didn't even matter because it got called back. So <laughs> poor Xavier. That's the it best was thing so, He was so pumped too, bro. It was oh, a tough beat. God bless him. But yeah, um, a controversy marred first half. Melbourne on top early with that Cameron's to try before. A uh, penalty try was ordered to Herbert Farnsworth. And even me, who you've dubbed Mr. Penalty Try, thought uh, thought otherwise. I, I couldn't believe that they gave that one. Thankfully, it didn't uh, come back to haunt Melbourne in the end. But what was what was your opinion on that? I thought that not only was he not going to score, I'm not even entirely sure it was a penalty. Well, the th- they changed the interpretation of penalty tries a few years ago. I'm not sure exactly when, but it changed from the video referee had to be certain that a try would have been scored to, in the opinion of the video ref, a try could have been scored. And that is sort of the heart of the controversy around that call. You know, I think it would be difficult to say that you would be certain that Herbie Farnworth was going to score, but you, you could say it was possible. And if it's possible, then in your opinion, it, it it could have happened, you know? So I was, I thought it was a penalty definitely. Cause I thought Grant grabbed him and Farnworth might have scored, but it's so hard to be, it's so, it's so hard with these things because everybody sees it differently. You know, That's you're true. not judging, you're not judging on, on, on something that has happened. Even you're judging, on a possibility, which is a very skinny thing to be making infinite such a lines. large decision on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So look, I don't know. I, I didn't think this was a clanger. I disagreed with the decision, but I didn't think it was awful. I think I, I think that's probably where I sit to not egregiously bad. I just don't personally agree. And look, given that it didn't affect the result of the match, it doesn't really matter. But the other incident that did very much affect the uh, outcome of this match that happened at the same time was Adam Reynolds face playing into the ground. And of course, not returning to the game. I thought Brisbane's young stars really stepped up at the back end of that first half. I thought both Walsh and Mam had some really nice touches. Um, but yeah, not having his direction and his 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 kicking and his ability to lead them around field, I think certainly caught up with them uh, as the game progressed. And you would imagine, I assume that he will not be playing for them next week as well. So that's a brutal, brutal blow for them. Um, what, how did I was how surprised. Did you, yeah. 
I was surprised with how they adapted to Reynolds going off because obviously Reynolds going off, he's such a big he's such a big part of their play. He runs around the park. He does like not like eighty percent of their kicking. Like he's after Payne Haas. After Payne Haas, he's probably their most important player just in terms of the way he gets them around the field. But I thought with Reynolds coming off that Walters would have gone straight into the Haas and Corey Pay would have mm. come straight on at hooker. And while you definitely lose something with Reynolds going off, you also gain something when Pay comes on. Like he's someone who's been a real favorite of Brisbane fans in the last couple of years because his service from dummy half is so good. But instead, Brisbane did this very strange hodgepodge kind of cover-up where Walters stayed at hooker well past his initial stint. Walters didn't Walters didn't move out of hooker until Pay came on in about the 65th minute which is by far the longest stint that Walters has had this year. And like Pat Carrigan was defending three in at one stage. And then Ricky was in the centers for a little bit and Staggs was playing at five, eight a little bit. And I don't know. I thought some of the coaching decisions in this one just took a something that was already going to be a lot for Brisbane to overcome and just made it that little bit harder. And given the way that Brisbane were able to keep hanging in this game, even without Reynolds, even when they had very little field position, in the second half, even when they probably got a bad whistle in the, in the period after half time, you know, cause I felt like Todd Smith, this game really got away from him yeah. to some extent, even with all that, it took until it took until the last five minutes and a freaky try with three different kicks in it for Melbourne to, to kill them off. You know? So I wonder that if, if Brisbane had been a little bit more proactive with the, with their changes, if they just kept things just a tiny little bit simpler perhaps they could have been in there in the closing stages of the shot to win the game, you know? Mm. Yeah. It, it's frustrating for them. And it did, obviously you can't control bounce of the ball and things like that, but it did just feel like a lot of things went against them, not in terms of decisions or anything like that in particular, but more like, you know, Melbourne getting a try off Coates, poor old Xavier Coates, Melbourne getting a try off him dropping the ball and it just landing into the lap of, of Justin Olam. And there's a couple of other things as well, but, um, I've been alerted to a theory mm. on Xavier Coates that I would like to share with the listeners out there. Okay. So there are there are there are people out there that believe that Xavier Coates can catch any kick in the world as long as his feet are on the ground. And the second he's in the air, it's over. If he gets what his hands are for, you know? And you could see it on that Justin Olam try. Like that's a pretty regulation catch. Yeah. For someone of Xavier Coates's height. But the second he's in the air, it's it's like he loses all his bearings. He loses all his equilibrium. He's a ground-based catcher. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The minute he has to fly high, forget about it. It's over. Unfortunately. And every time, every, so I was informed <laughs> of this theory just before kickoff tonight, and it rung true through this match. Mm. It's probably unfortunate that one of the key components of most crossfield kick-related tries is jumping. So... That is something that a lot of them do have. That mm. like, I'm, I'm glad you ran the numbers on that one in yeah. the rookies lab. Don't have don't have the today. exact spreadsheet in front of me, but I feel like more often than not, you do have to jump to catch a a, a high kick that's above your head. That's what you call science. Mm. Um, speaking of people that are well read, uh, Patrick Carrigan was sinbinned for a hip drop. Uh, it incensed a few of the Broncos fans that were watching the game along with us. Um, so I, I still, I mean, I don't know what a hip drop is. You don't know what a hip drop is. Nobody knows what a hip drop is, but it was weird that it came back from the bunker and Todd Smith said to Carrigan, you've landed on his legs. You've got to go to the bin. When very clearly, when we watched it, 
he didn't land on his legs. He landed on the ground. So if that's supposed to be like the core sort of tenant or one of the core tenants of what a hip drop is, is coming down with your body weight on top of them, which is what I imagine is the most dangerous aspect and the part that causes all these knee issues for the guys who are on the receiving end. It didn't, yes, he swung around, but it didn't seem to me like that happened at all. It seemed like he landed on the ground behind him. I can't believe I'm saying this with an, even an ounce of seriousness in my voice, but what's he supposed to do? He can't disappear. Mm. Like he did swing around. That's true. But I think you could tell that he was making the effort to keep his studs on the ground, which we were told after hip drop mania the other week, we were told that trying to keep your studs on the ground is a key indicator of what's, what is a hip drop and what isn't. And if the, if, if the upper part of his body didn't drop on, um, I never remember who the player was. I think it was a Sofa Solomon. If the upper part of his body didn't, if he didn't make the effort, for the upper part of his body to drop on the back of a sofa Solomon's legs, then it would have been his hips and it could have been a very serious injury. So Carrigan has done everything he can to avoid what they say is a classical hip drop. Yeah. But yet he has still somehow hip dropped in. And it must've been so frustrating for him as well, because he talked to the referee afterwards and said, my legs hit the ground and all the referees saying was they reviewed it. They reviewed it. We'd refuse to actually discuss the issue yeah, with him. I, I thought, I thought this was a really poorly officiated yeah, game. I think he'll probably be dropped. Like it, yeah. yeah, it really got away with him on a couple of occasions. And there were a couple of like real inconsistencies as well. Like, you know, letting the Walsh one-on-one strip go. So the video ref could bail him up and not doing the same thing late in the game when Xavier mm-hmm. Coates picked it up and went the length and all that. And I don't know if it would have impacted the result or anything like that, but I think it stopped what could have been a really good contest from, it sort of grabbed a really good contest and dragged it down into the weeds a little bit. And I don't know. I just felt like we didn't see anything close to either to the best of either side in this. And the referee wink was a big factor in that. One thing I did like, mm-hmm. one thing I did enjoy, I thought Jerome Hughes probably had his best game I agree. in quite yeah. some time after, had the ball after Craig Bell the game a bit of a, Gave him a bit of a rocket during the week and thought Hughes's running game was a lot more present. I really liked some of his last tackle options, like the the um the calmness that he played with in broken play. I thought it was a lot closer to the Jerome Hughes that we've come to know in recent years. And he would have had two tries too, if not for the coats offside on the first one. Then we've got to talk about it. Uh future oh, first Falcon, Ellie Katoa. Uh having that ball knocked out from behind by Ezra Mamma. Classic um who was the Warriors player from that Toyota Cup highlight all those years ago? Glenn Fisciahi. Was it Glenn Fisciahi? Yeah. And it was yeah. just a classic of the genre. And tonight's was right up there with that. He was smiling. He was over the trial under. But as remember, not only was on the he play. not only was he smiling, his like buddies from the right edge, Willie, Willie Bricks and Remus Smith, were both smiling and laughing and had the whip in the air. Cause I think Katar was a bit of a popular player. I think it was one of those ones everyone was like, ah, oh, Eli's yeah. been working so hard. This is a great one. And it was until it wasn't. Yeah. It's funny to think. Extremely embarrassing. So Coates, uh, sorry, Hughes had the tricys for that last try to Warbrick, but like was robbed of three others. So he doesn't get the tricys for the Olam try because Coates drops the ball. He doesn't get the tricys for Katoa because of Ezra Mam. And he doesn't get the tricys for the Warbrick try that was taken away because of the offside. He, Yeah, he had a great game, but that must be frustrating. It's, mate, it's rugby league jazz. You have to look at the notes he, he's not playing. Yeah, no, had a stormer. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Melbourne, very good. Brisbane now got to play Penrith next Thursday without Adam Reynolds. So Yeah, all tough, of us. So, so, yeah, so like I wouldn't be panicking again. I still think I said that last week that like there's no cause to panic. For, for for Brisbane in a performance like this. But all of a sudden, man, if they lose next week and it's two in a row and they've got Origin on the horizon and they're going to have a heavy representation because 
I think with every game that's played, Reese Walsh is more likely to play Origin in some capacity, if not starting at fullback. They're already going to lose Payne Haas. They're probably going to lose Selwyn Cobbo. They're definitely going to lose Pat Carrigan. And that's a lot of really good guys that they're going to be missing. And there's yeah. a lot of gaps they're going to have to fill. And this is the time when they've really got to bank the wins, you know, for those, they've, they've, they've got it. They're like squirrels with nuts, putting them away for the winter. Winter is on the horizon and the nuts are running short. Indeed. Try, try, this is a try. Brilliant, brilliant play. I think it's a try. Oh, I don't know if this is going to be a try. Gee, what about this bloke? Uh, if you're a new listener to the show, uh, we've added a segment for 23 called What About This Bloke? Where we just talk about a rugby player you might have forgotten from the, the 90s or 2000s. Camper. So sitting around and naming old footy players is the finest thing a person can do. It's literally my favorite thing to do in the entire world. And dear patron of the show, Mr. Beefy, has has come in with an absolute storm. Our first guy who didn't play in the NRL, which is... a, a you know, no, it's it's a it's an uncommon thing. It's it's rare that someone attains true true guy status without playing in the league. But Mr. Beefy threw up Papua New Guinea demigod Stanley Ganae, and I was helpless. I was helpless to resist the lure of the Kumul. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, Super League legend, uh, Papua New Guinea legend. Um, so. People might not know much about Stanley Ganae. I mean, we only really caught sort of the back end of his career when he played uh, in those World Cups for Papua New Guinea. I remember there was a big controversy about his age being fudged as well. But he was, you know, he he was a mainstay for a few Super League teams in the late nineties and early two thousands. I mean, I I didn't I didn't watch any of that. Uh, how much How much of Stanley Ganae's uh, Super League tenure are you across? Only a little bit, but you've mentioned where the, the Stanley Ganae legend begins, and that is with his birth in year unknown. This is he's one of the, he like he is from parts unknown. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like it was it was during like, I think the 2008 World Cup where the age stuff really raised its head. Stanley Ganae said that in 2008, playing for Papua New Guinea, that he was 34. I've seen pictures of him from 2008. I'm guessing he's five six years older. Easy. I've got him in his early 40s back then. So he's. In the 1970s, in Papua New Guinea, when he was born, let's be honest, birth certificates not the easiest thing to come by. And in the years since, he's since dug up a birth certificate. And I'm going on the record; I don't think it's real. I think he, I think he truly is a man who doesn't really know how old he is. He's just, he's as old as you feel, I guess. But he kind of came on the scene in an elite rugby league sense. It's probably in the 1995 World Cup, which is one of the first ones that PNG was. Competing in that's the first World Cup where they had proper pools and um, you know a proper knockout stage and the first World Cup that looked like a World Cup probably should. He did really well for the Kummels in that and he picked up a a contract with Hull Kingston Rovers who at the time was sort of struggling in the second division and he was kind of like a five eight lock forward a little bit of center and in those early years with Hull KR he was unbelievable scored ninety four tries in hundred and eleven games which at any level of of rugby league is just absolutely stupid. And then that sort of got him into Super League. He played for their crosstown rivals, Hull FC a little bit. He played for Huddersfield a bit after that. And then the first time I watched him play, I remember, was in the 2006 World Club Challenge. So he just signed with Bradford, 
and they played against the West Tigers in England. And we've talked about the 05 Tigers a thousand times, but you guys all know the story. They're an incredibly free-flowing, awesome attacking football team. And I was 12 years old at the time when they won that grand final. And they went over to England and I just assumed that they were going to cut everyone to pieces because that's what they do. But instead, the Bradford Bulls, led by Stanley Ganae, just muscled up, put a bit of Northern English muscle via Papua New Guinea on them and just absolutely wrecked the shit out of them. Like Brett Hodgson and Scott Prince were running for cover when big Stanley Ganae was rumbling down the turf. Mm. You know, and he was a PNG, a PNG player in the very best sense where there was no problem that couldn't be solved by just hitting harder and running harder. You know what I mean? And just, and, and, and like, that'll just get you through anything. There's no storm that can't be weathered so long as you play that way. That was sort of my first exposure to him, that world club challenge in 06. And I've been in love with him ever since. Yeah. Um, what's he up to now? Do you have any idea? Yeah. Well, he's still living in England. Still living in England. He sort of stayed in England after he retired. He comes back to Papua New Guinea once a year. I think he um from a place up in the eastern highlands called Goroka, which is sort of like the major, the major population center up there. But you get like some psychos coming down from the highlands. But um I read I remember years ago reading a really good feature about him that talks sort of talked about his first his early days in England and what a culture shock it was for him. And there were stories like uh, a, a local fishing shop had heard that he was a, a really keen fisherman back in Papua New Guinea. So they sorted him out with a bunch of really nice fishing rods and got the local paper to take him, to, take him to the, to the river to get some good shots of him, you know, chucking the line in the water and all that. They handed him the fishing rod and he's just chucked it in the water like a spear because all <laughs> the fishing he did at home was spear fishing. There was another one. He went to a teammate's place and the teammate had a bit of money, right? So he had a really nice house. It's all decked out and all that sort of thing. Stanley talks about going to the bathroom and, you know, does his business or whatever and goes to wash his hands, but he uses the bidet to wash his hands because he'd never seen one before. He just figured out what it was for. And I guess the other side of this, hey? It would work. It would, well, his hands were clean. But that's the other side to me, the Stanley Gennay story that I really love. I love it when there's blokes who come from, um, come from very foreign places, come from other ends of the earth, who come from different worlds who managed to sort of find their feet playing footy in a, in a completely different universe to anything they would have considered. You know what I mean? Like Stanley Gennay grew up in a hut without running water. You know, he didn't, didn't sort of, didn't sort of have the standard of living that we all take for granted until he was already a grown man. You know, he didn't really have any, he didn't have anything other than the simplest things in life and, and a dream to play some footy. And he's managed to parlay that into a life that he probably never could have imagined in the early 1940s growing up in Papua New Guinea. You know, and I remember very well his swan song for the Kummels, which was in the 08 World Cup. When they were a pretty good side, they played England up in Townsville and gave them a hell of a scare. They played New Zealand and sort of got wrecked. And then his last big game was against Australia. And I rem- like the Kummels didn't, they didn't do much. They got done by 40 points, but they came out and they played that classic Kummel football. You know, they told those Australians to bring the ice boys because you know, we're bringing the pain. And Stanley Ganae was among them. You know, guys like... Jesse Joe Parker and Menzi Yere and a very young David Mead who went by David Moore in those days and huh? Richard Cambo and all sorts of just really, really great Papua New Guinea names who all just sort of worship Stanley Gennay like a god and kind of said to him, I need, I need something for this last big campaign. I need something for my last ever time. And they were like, well, we'll, we'll hit these kangaroo pricks so hard they piss blood. It's going to be great. And it was, you know, so... Stanley Gennay, one of one of my all-time favorites, an inspired choice 
from our dear friend, Mr. Beefy. Who's up next week? Well, the random number generator has been working overtime. Overtime. And up next week is beloved patron, and I know he's been waiting for his name to be called. It's Wayno. Wayno's oh, yeah. in. Wayno's up for it. Here he comes. He'll be excited. Um, yeah, I know. Right. Probably be a Cronulla guy. Wayne's one of the great uh, Cronulla men. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's all right. We've got a Sharks fan on the show. It's going to be good. It's true. I'll de- reach deep into the bag of knowledge there. Um, and if you'd like to be in the running to make your own guy, patreon.com forward slash rookies. All right. Let's preview um, the rest of the weekend's games, uh, starting with uh, the Bulldogs hosting the Warriors at Homebush in the 6 p.m. game. Uh, Josh Adokar, a late withdrawal today, which sort of makes me a little bit more hesitant about the Bulldogs' chances. I was already on the Warriors to win this game, and now that Adokar's out, it just makes me a little bit more confident. To me, this shapes as a really key game for the Warriors because I feel like the last three weeks they've played with a tremendous amount of effort. And in the, in the time since we recorded our Monday show, I've re or the Tuesday show, I've rewatched that um, Panthers Warriors game just to go to sort of get a better sense of it. And I forgot how tough the Warriors played. I, I, I sort of got a better sense for that, how, how much they were able to put in despite the injuries really, really mounting up. Like that was a game that was very much in the balance until that Spencer Lenu Try despite the Warriors losing so many guys to injury and despite them losing guys to the Symbian, despite Sean Johnson having probably his worst game of the season and Dylan Walker had a bit of a shocker as well, you know. So I think Ronald Volkman in the halves is a really good move for the Warriors. I I think Walker had done pretty well there over the last few weeks, but I think they needed a specialist in there just to sort of make things a bit easier for Johnson, just to give their attack a bit, uh, to make their attack a little bit more rounded, give them a little bit more shape about what they were doing. And while it is it is good, it is tough for them to win away from home, I think this is a good a good matchup for them because you know Canterbury in that game against the Raiders they've really struggled in the middle of the field and I thought they did against the Dragons as well. Even though the Dragons don't have a pack to speak of that's sort of on Canberra or the Warriors level, so as long as Tohu Harris and Adam Fanor Blake get going through the middle, which we have no reason to expect that they won't, they've been doing that nearly every week this year. I think this is a matchup that really really favors the Warriors, so I really like them. I thought about Cole training him. I did. I haven't done that yet somehow, despite being like it, like having a pretty serious crush on nearly all the Warriors <laughs> players, but I managed to resist that temptation this time around. Yeah. For me, I think Canterbury were pretty fortunate for their game at last week to be as close as it ended up being. And I think that the Warriors forwards should be able to have their way with them a little bit. I mean, Josh Adekar would have given a bit more sort of dyna- dynamism out wide, but I think it's just gonna be too hard for the backs to get on to lay a platform again. I'll, I'll take the Warriors as well. Um, yeah, I would agree. I, I I do think that there is a chance that if if the Bulldogs can get Burton's like you know crazy torpies going again, that they can yeah. give the Warriors back three a whole lot of trouble. Chance to look at as good a season as he's had has had a, some bad games under the high ball in the past. But again, you're more relying on the other team doing something wrong than you are on yourself doing something right, which is it's never it's never really a sustainable course in my in my mind anyway. So. I, yeah, I I think for the for the for the Bulldogs to win, they'll want to see a little bit more of, of what they saw last week. So sort of Reynolds and Burton combining, and 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 Burton looking to dominate with his running game and all that sort of thing. But I just don't really see it happening against a Warriors team that that sort of has has put in three gallant losses. But if they want to be a top eight team, this is the sort of game 
that they've got to win. So I think they're going to come in really dialed in for, for this one. Yeah. And I think they're going to take it. And then followed up by Penrith hosting the Roosters in Penrith. Yeah. So again, you said you, you're more concerned about the Roosters long-term chances than I am, but I think we're but both that's only because you concerned. hate the Roosters. Well, no, like I'm, I'm talking about from a neutral point of view. I, I'm less, I'm, I'm less on the Roosters a de- finished bandwagon than you are. But thank you for ruining my my turn of phrase because I'm going to say in the short term we are both equally worried about them because Penrith should have their measure in this one. You would think. I personally can't believe they've not stuck. Sorry, that they have stuck with the same 17 basically, apart from. Uh, Butcher dropping out and Crichton starting instead. They're running it back with the same halves combination again. And look, I, I just don't see, I just don't see them troubling Penrith. I know Penrith have struggled to score points themselves a lot of the time this year, but their defense, even in the games they've lost, has been pretty solid. And with how awful the Roosters' attack has been for the last couple of weeks, I can't see a world where they're going to be scoring, you know, the sixteen to twenty points that you'd think would be required to win this game. Yeah, that's definitely a valid concern. I this to me strikes this strikes me as the sort of game that the Roosters have always lifted for in the past, and for a while that was their real issue. They were they were you know they were adept at sort of rising to the challenge once every two or three weeks, but sort of backing up that effort again and again and again. That's something they've kind of struggled to do probably over the last two like over the last two seasons or so. I I kind of agree with you, even though there is so much strike in that Roosters team. I don't know if there's the creativity there. Um, and I'm, and when you look at that side, I'm not unless they can just sort of beat someone one on one or muscle their way over. I'm not really sure where the points are going to come from. But you could say the same about Penrith a little yeah. bit, you know, like a lot, like that. A lot of their tries uh, come from you know Dylan Edwards is out on an edge and someone just misses him one on one, or they got the quick they they sort of had the quick play of the ball against the Warriors and Spencer and you just charged onto it and the Warriors didn't have time to reform. It's not as if they're playing sparkling attacking footy themselves. So if the Roosters dig in with a bit of a staunch defensive effort, which we know, like we know they're at least a little bit capable of that and keeping the Warriors to nil a couple of weeks ago and a couple of the tries that the Cowboys scored, you, you don't want to call them fluky, but they were perhaps a little, a little yeah, fortunate. The, the Tulungi like one, that. especially like you can't believe. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I can see a path to victory for the Roosters mm. in this one. But you're just relying on on seeing something that you really haven't seen a lot of a lot from them this year. So I'm probably leaning Penrith on this one. But honestly, that's mainly because they're at home, you know, yeah, and they, they get such a bruise they from, are from that big home crowd down so there. So hard to beat out there. And yeah, mate, I, I see this being something like 18-10 or something like that. Just, yeah, just a classic arm um, wrestle that they're just sort of on top on the whole time. Um, yeah, interesting to see what they do there. I know that Roosters fans are sort of they're in a bad at the moment they really are in a bad place Penrith fans are a lot more sanguine but I guess you can be when you've won two comps in a row and you know (laughs) you're still in the top four on the ladder um good use of sanguine thank you I've got I've got got this one like I've got this one like an 11 an 11 4 11 4 was that that the Bronco South opener last year the yeah because Kurt Cable kicked a field goal with 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 Satili Tupanua himself if he's knocking one over Wait, so the Roosters are winning 11-4? No, he's kicking four field goals. Oh, of course. Sorry. That's my yeah, that's of my course. John, switch on, mate. <laughs> um, South Sydney hosting the Tigers. So back-to-back games at home, Bush, within 24 hours. South's back at home. Um, Tigers on a two-game winning streak, but 
a whole new level in terms of tests. I, I, I think it's fair to say. It is. For the Tigers to win this, they need to rely on bizarro shit happening, mm. right? But if there is one team against whom bizarro shit has been a viable path for them in recent years, it is the Rabbitohs. So last yeah. year when the Tigers could not beat a drum, oh, I pulled the stats up for this game the other day. <laughs> they beat they beat the Rabbitohs. And you crunched the numbers earlier today. Would you just like to take the listeners on um, a bit of a journey? Yeah, the West Tigers completed in that game at 95% and the South Sydney Rabbitohs completed in that game at 63%. Uh, and that, even with that happening, um, it was still only a one-point game with Luke Brooks kicking the field goal. But on top of that, on top of that disparity in errors, there was also the time in possession. Tigers had the ball for 10 minutes more than the Roosters, uh, than the Rabbitohs did. And I think, I, I think this is from one of our friends, but I think ended up with about 50 extra play the balls. So like completely and utterly statistically dominated the bunnies everywhere except on the scoreboard, but got it done. By well, do, that do, do you want to know where the Tigers did dominate them? On the scoreboard? On the scoreboard. By, by, one, on the scoreboard. by one. A one point domination. Here's a number for you. Luke Brooks for life. That's a, that's worse. Here's another one for here's yeah. Here's another one for you. Jareem Buller. Two words. But yeah, it is nice to see. I, I was on the, I was on the uh, West Last podcast, who are a patron now. Of course, I went on their show yesterday to preview this game. I think they like to get someone on from the opposition team every week. And I did say it was going to be refreshing to watch the two best fullbacks in the game go head to head this week. So after uh, after after facing some some lesser lights in the past few weeks, such as Dylan Dylan Edwards, I believe his uh, it's, name it's is. actually and, it's uh, actually Edward, Edward Dylan. Ah, uh, uh, Retche Walsh. I think never heard of him. Yeah. And whoever the storm had last week, who gives a shit. It's just nice to have another quality number one up against us this week. But yeah, I think you're right, mate. Like they're, if they're going to win this game, it has to be another game like that one where just like Souths can't complete the, can't complete a set for a long time. And Souths have that game in them, by the way, they had a couple of them at the start of this season. They're more than capable of having one of these nightmare games where they just can't get through their sets, especially with Liam Knight back in the team. But um, yeah, there's no, and we we talked a lot about how the Tigers have been sort of not been the swashbuckling Sheens era Tigers of yesteryear, but rather they've been sort of more peeled back and more restrained and sort of, they've just sort of been much more by the numbers in the last couple of weeks, much more safe. And they're sort of winning through the, through the force of will from these forwards that they all signed in the off season and their, their backs and especially Luke Brooks, not overplaying their hands. And whilst that was a winning formula for them in the last two weeks, I don't think they can do that here. I think if they try to go set for set with the Rabbitohs, as good as that middle rotation is playing right now, and as good as some of those forwards are, I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think they do have to go out there and chance their arm a little bit. Yeah. I, I think the only hope for West in this one is that Souths are off their game. And I think there's a non zero percent chance that that could happen because like Souths have been up, like up, up for three weeks in a row now. They've had three monster, really important, big games that have really been pumped up mm. for emotion, like the Panthers game, then the Broncos game, then the storm up at Magic Round. Mm. And it's all been a lot. And it's it's hard to sustain that sort of effort all the time, you know, and, you know, the, the Rabbitohs are certainly a talented enough squad to do that and they have enough enough pedigree and enough experience to just to, to 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 sustain that effort and i think they will sustain that effort but you know there i think there is a non-zero chance that they come into this one a mm. bit flat the tigers scored the first try south's dropping passes putting things down all that sort of deal. I think, yeah, non-zero the, chance non-zero the best, chance but the best I don't, thing, but again sorry oh, I was gonna say, the best thing for south is that 
the Tigers beat Penrith two weeks ago. Because I think having a result like that in recent history will sort of make them, they're not just going to stroll in and think that they're going to win this. I think they'll still be maybe not as up as they were in these last couple of games, but I don't think they're going to be walking into Homebush on Saturday afternoon and expecting to just stroll their way to a victory. Well, the stakes are going to be high because ownership of the Penrith Panthers is on the line. That's for true. These two, for these two proud clubs. Right. But I do think Souths take it, which is why. Here's Taylor rolling the ball end on him. He's after it. He might have got it down. He thinks he did. Oh! Cold train cup. First, first time I've taken Souths this year. Wow. Kept him up my sleeve. Kept him up my sleeve. Nice. Well. I've already coltrained them twice, so I won't be taking them here. But yeah, a, a handsome tip for you. I think they're a dollar fifteen or something. But I don't think anything should be a dollar fifteen in the current NRL, by the way. Like just with the number of upsets we had, and the number of good games we've had this year. But uh, yeah, tough to go past the house in this one. But um, you know they beat them last year, so who the hell knows? Um, the Cowboys hosting the Dragons uh, in the five thirty game. Um, Things suddenly looking a little bit better for the Cowboys after that big win last week. And now they get one of those sort of games at the start of the year, they would have penciled in as a home banker. And I think given the way the Dragons are playing right now and the constant rumors swirling about Anthony Griffin's future and the coaching situation in general, can you, is, is, is there a case you can make for, for the Dragons here? Well, yeah, the case that you can make for the Dragons is that some of the attacking spark that they've shown from a few different players in the last few weeks. So it was sort of, it was Sullivan last week. It was kind of Sloan on, um, on Anzac Day. If they can take all those, those different parts of themselves and get them all working together, I think there's a chance they could have far more points in them than the Cowboys. But that's just been such a struggle for the Dragons for the last few weeks. And it's, it feels like every week for them, there's a new, it's a bit more drama. Something's a bit more tumultuous. Like this week, it was the Jack Bird stuff. You know, which has just really shone at the spotlight right back on on Anthony Griffin and on his future and how the players sort of react to him and all that's all all that sort of stuff. So it seems to me that dysfunction is just really just like really heavily around Saints at the minute. And it's just making it really hard for the team to to sort of perform at their best. And and you know, I do think the Cowboys found a little bit of something in that win over the Roosters. You know, they 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 really muscled up in the middle of the field. It was really really apparent when you watch the game back that. While um you know while the cows didn't put that many points on it was sort of in the trenches it was in the middle of the field where they found that physicality that was so good for them last year and that's the thing that they'd been missing so often in 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 2023 but they they were able to find it again and they looked they looked you know bad and mean and they looked like the boys from the bush were back in town and from that nice attacking things were able to happen you know so you add in the home ground advantage and. Yeah, I do like the cows in this one. I'm I'm hoping that what they showed last week against the Roosters wasn't just a one-off. I'm hoping that Cohen Hess is really good again. I'm hoping Ruben Cotter is really good again. And then, you know, who knows? Like Jason Tawalolo is meant to be back in a couple of weeks. He'll make that forward pack look a whole lot better. I think Griffin needs you back not long after that. And then, you know, maybe maybe there's a bit more life in the Cowboys than we thought. Maybe the Western isn't dead. You know, maybe mm. maybe we're not in unforgiven era yet. Maybe we're still in like, you know, the outlaw Josie Wales type era maybe we're in not not in not in late western we're just in midwestern type stuff a few dollars more perhaps that's that that's more that's more like spaghetti western that's like i I like those have you seen them the dollars trilogy of course i have which one's the best the second one which is a few dollars more very good very good yes 
That's why I said it before in the reference. <laughs> now nah, I'm more of a I'm more like, I'm more of like a Rio Bravo man myself. I do like those those Leone Eastwood westerns, but they're just a little bit too long for my taste sometimes. That's fair. Um, yeah, dude. Uh, it's Ben Hunt's 300th game, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm just like just the everything that's going on with the Dragons right now. It just seems like it's just one of those classic toxic environments we get in a season where sort of. Some blokes are one eye out the door. Other blokes are just sort of waiting for the shooter drop on the on the coach. And with 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 the Cowboys having the tails up after last week, and they've got so few of these home bankers left. I think they've got another five games at home after this one. So yeah, they've they've got to win this if they're going to have any chance of sort of getting out of that early season slide. And that's why here's Taylor rolling the ball in on him. He's after it. He might have got it down. He thinks he did. Oh, cold train cup. Here's a fistful of dollars for you. I'm taking the Cowboys. Bang. All right. Um, and the Saturday uh, nightcap. Canberra hosting Parramatta in what well, I imagine will be frigid conditions uh, in the nation's capital. I would definitely like it to be crisp. Mm. I, I would. I would like everyone to not take a light jacket, but a heavy jacket. I would. I would like the uh, the autumn frost to crunch underfoot. On the yeah. on on the on the walk up to to GIO Stadium, um, yeah. Look, I, the the big one for me in this, and honestly, it would be enough to sway my tip either way. Is Mitch Moses not playing for Parramatta? So he got knocked out against the Titans last week, out for eleven days, and his skill set is is just so well suited. Oh God, his skill set is so well suited to targeting a lot of the things that Canberra do badly. So. We talked a lot about Canberra's uh, struggles uh, in the back three defensively under the high ball and all that. Seb Chris is a big part of that, even though he is doing better at fullback. And Moses would have been the sort of player that could really exploit that well. But now he can't do that because he's not playing. When Canberra played the Eels in the semis last year and got absolutely smashed, it's because they were able to play with tremendous width across the field. Uh, via Reed Marnie and Mitch Moses, and they were and Canberra were stretched very thin. Parramatta got a lot of one, a lot of one-on-one matchups, and all the Parramatta players were big and strong enough to win all those matchups. Para probably aren't going to be able to do that because Reed Marnie is not here anymore, and Mitch Moses isn't playing. So you remove those real assets for Parramatta, you remove those weapons, and all of a sudden the game looks a lot more in Canberra's favour. Like the Titans were able to score a lot of points and a lot of points early on, on Parramatta last week, particularly down their right edge. Canberra's left edge through Jack White and, and Jared Croker and Albert Hoppawati has been pretty strong. And Hudson Young has been pretty strong these last few weeks. You know, I think Parramatta carry the ball very well through the middle, but they have shown a, a tendency to give up a fair few meters as well, especially if the opposition defenders are targeting Josh Hodgson, which we know Canberra is going to do. And we know they're going to bring the muscle through the middle with Papali and Tarpanay and all that. And, while I, I don't think you can go as far to say that Canberra are certainty, it's just because they're so goddamn weird this year. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they're up 24-0 after 20 minutes and then hang on to win 24-22 or something like that. But yeah, just feel like the deck stacked a little bit in their favour in this one. I thought it was very strange that um, Matt Dury seems to have dropped out of calculations for Brad Arthur and a- Andrew Davey the week that he joined from Canterbury was rushed straight into the team. Straight in. It's second row. And like we talked about the Davy effect last week, but we're left, we're left lacking, left wanting. And actually the Titans kind of went after him in, in attack. And, and like, he's, he's not a bad player or anything like that, but he just looked unfamiliar with what was going on around him as he would. Cause he only joined the club 
this very week. So I don't know. I just I just feel like there's a lot of matchups that Canberra can can probably feel pretty good about. And if they keep attacking the way they've been attacking these last couple of weeks, I, I you know, and given Paris' tendency to play the style of play the style of game their opposition wants, which is a bad habit they've fallen into. I, I like this one for the Durs. I do. Me, me too. I think the I think the Eels and Brad Arthur will be sneakily happy that this game is not in Parramatta because Parramatta fans love booing Jacob Arthur. They love booing him. Yeah, they do. It, it actually it got sucks. really mean for a while. It absolutely sucks. Not arguing that, but they they do love doing it, and he will be playing. So, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be taking the Durs as well. Um, Sunday, a game I'm kind of keen for. The Knights hosting the Titans, uh, at Hunter Stadium. A week off, obviously fresh off their entire team going to Bali and getting on it for a few days. Such was the stories that I read. What an overreaction! Who, that who in the who in the Knights is most likely to get a bad Indonesia tattoo? Oh well, I mean, the, well, the it's probably the only guy that did actually go to Bali, right? It is probably Bradman Best. Is he the only one who actually went to Bali? I believe that's what happened. I think he's like the only one that went. It was this huge overreaction. I, I stopped following the story. It was too stupid. I it just, was I very could, stupid. I could not summon enthusiasm. Phoenix Crossum would get some characters from another language that he was told meant like peace and love, but they actually mean like toilet. No, this, these Chinese characters mean Phoenix, man. Ah. And it actually <laughs> means like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and chicken roll or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I would say Kalen Ponga, but he's already got some really dodgy tattoos. And Tyson Gamble would do the tattoo himself. So to himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he right. tattooed like a pair of a pair of dice or something on like that, and a banner that yeah. would say, "You miss the gambles that you don't gamble." Absolutely, something like that. A, a roulette wheel, but every every number is just his jersey number. Oh, bro, that's that actually goes kind of hard. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of sick. I, that. I don't mind that, bro. Thirteen um, on every slot. Let's go. Yeah, this is um, this is real gut check time for the for the for our friends up at Newcastle. This is time when they really got to dig deep and 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 kind of see what they're made of because that performance against Parramatta two weeks ago was ab- like I, I know the word embarrassing gets thrown around a lot with with footy and all that, but it was the sort of thing that if you, if they are a player, they probably would have been pretty ashamed of. It felt like of how it they felt went. like. It felt like if Parramatta weren't taking the piss, they would have scored 60 points in that game. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. And and given some of the performances the Knights had put in before that, it just felt like such a such a step backward, you know? And and they've had two weeks to think about it. You know, they've had two weeks to sit on the beach in Bali and sink a few bintangs and do a bit of soul searching, as we all must from time to time. And they've got this game at home, so there'll be a big crowd on a Sunday Arbor. There always is in Newcastle. And I think it's time for them to decide what kind of season they want this to be because, you know, we've talked a lot about them exceeding expectations this year and doing better than we expected. They're, they're three and six. They've only won one more game than the two teams that are anchored to the bottom of the ladder, you know? So they need to they need to get moving. It has to start now. It has to start happening. Like, I understand that Kalen Pong is still feeling his way back and I understand that the club wants to be patient with him, but they need something from him they need their forwards to to step up a little bit i think they need both the safidis to really to really dig in i think if either of them want to play origin this year like this is when it's got to start you know if dane gagai wants to keep that queensland spot this is when it's got to start if yeah, if, no... if uh, back to ponga again if ponga wants to hold on to his jersey because reese walsh yeah, is coming for it, coming pretty hard it kind of has to start now so if, if if the good signs that we've seen from the knights this year are to continue mm. 
they must continue right now. And there's no more, there's no more room for brave losses here. This is this is the Titans at yeah. home. This is you're coming off a bye. They're coming off a a, a, a magic round matinee on the Sunday. Like you got to get your shit together here and, and get the win. Well, but again, I don't think the Titans make it easy for them. No, no, I of don't. course not. But I'm but just saying, is... like, the home games against interstate teams, like, off a week's rest as well. Yeah, that's what that's what you really need. You can't yeah. draw up a much better scenario to try and get your season back on track in that regard. So, yeah, I, I will tip the Knights here, but you know, we're 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 way past the point of trying to work, trying to rationalize or predict what the Titans will do. But yeah. Well, I'm not trying to rash, rationalize it, but I will predict it. I, th- I think they're going to win. I think they're going to chalk up three in a row, mainly because I just think they've got far more points in them than um, than the Knights do. I think the way that they attack, the structures of their attack have, have been really impressive to me over these last couple of weeks. As, you know, and as much as we joke about how the Titans are as mad as a bunch of cut snakes and all that sort of deal, I do think there's been aspects of their play that might be a little bit replicable. And I actually think they've been a real quiet success story this year. They're sitting in the top eight at the minute. I know yeah. the ladder's weird or whatever, but still, still that's 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 an achievement for a squad that plenty of people, including ourselves, tipped to really, really struggle this year. Yeah. You know, there's there's pace out there. There's points out there. Can't Alofiana Can Pereira. He, he like I've got him very squarely in the rookie of the year race. He's talked about it earlier this week, but like he's one of those guys that's just got the special, the special, the special pace, man. He's got the real juice. Phil Sammy's, you know, been one of the best wingers in the competition this year for long enough that it's not a joke anymore. And, you know, while, you know, I'm, I'm expecting plenty from Kieran Foran, I'm expecting plenty from Jaden Campbell. I'm expecting plenty from guys who have been giving us plenty. Relying yep. on the Titans is a crazy thing to do, but I'm a pretty fucking crazy person sometimes. So <laughs> I wonder maybe if if they're leaving their, their, their lunacy behind a little bit, if they're, if they're growing up a little bit, if they're, if they're that mate who you knew when he, he was a kid and he'd sniff glue and do all sorts of weird stuff and you see him five years later and he's got a steady job and a kid in a house and you think, man, he really turned it around. Maybe the Titans are on that journey. Maybe the Titans are going to have a nice bedroom, a nice two-bedroom house down the road from their parents. Maybe the Titans have met that nice girl that's going to finally settle them down. I don't know, but I believe in them. I believe in my friends. The Gold Coast Titans are my friends. Hell yeah. And finish up the Sharks going to Manly to play the Seagulls. Cam, I've got a question for you. The Sharks have played at Brookvale over 48 times. Do you know how many times they've won? It's like three or something, isn't it? It's crazy. Six. So t- yeah, it's not six, many. Six. Six out of forty-eight. Well, as the as the resident Sharks fan, will it become seven from forty-nine? Well, it's weird, right? Because like, you know, historical hoodoo is a kind of a strange thing because you know when they when they transcend generations, it's sort of like, well, why does this matter now when none of these guys were even alive when the Sharks were losing twenty games in a row to the to the nineteen seventies or eighties Seagulls, or whatever? But yeah, it, it was, well, it was five out of 47 until they played them last year and they put an absolute score on them. So maybe, but yeah, for whatever reason, the Sharks don't get Magic Round and they don't get Brookvale Oval. So um, a, a tough couple of weeks for them going from Magic Round to Brookvale Oval. Um, still waiting on a couple of guys to come back from injury in, that, in the middle of the park. Um, and Manly, I think Manly are just nowhere near as good as... I know some people thought they could be at the start of the year. So either. So I, I think that this could be a classic game that at like five 30 on Sunday, we're all just kind of like, when is this game going to end? I think this could be a real bludger. <laughs> I'm serious. I know we, it's weird. Cause every week we say like three or four games. Oh, I'm so pumped for this one. Oh, I'm so keen. We never go. Yeah. Fuck. 
this one's probably going to stink. <laughs> this one just might just sitting around waiting for the news to start. Like. Yeah, this one might. This one might. This one might be. Just, you're just waiting for um, Ian Henderson to come on, but he's not there. Brian Wasn't Henderson. Wasn't it Brian right? Henderson? Yeah, yeah Ian Henderson was the former Warriors. Hooker. He was. That's right. Yeah, you just waiting. For <laughs> now Brian. he has risen to news gathering. But Brian's not coming for another 25 minutes. And you look up and it's <laughs> it's 12 8. And it's just like, what's the point? Maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. But um Well, let, let, let's 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 approach, let's like let's take let's take the solved problem and try and unsolve it, right? So the book's kind of written on how to handle Cronulla. If you beat Cronulla up, eventually you can get you can get him, you can beat him, you can do him, you know what I mean? Do manly have the capabilities? Do they have the personnel? Do they have the dog in them to knock Cronulla around to the extent that they must to beat them. Yeah. Uh, that's that was a, a question. question. That was a question. Thank you. Well, sorry. I thought you were doing a pregnant pause for yourself, but yeah, that's a tough one because they do have a couple of very good forwards, but that's not really what they're known for. That's not really been their bread and butter at any point over the last couple of seasons. Like the, the, the year they were the best in, uh, in sort of in recent manly history was because you know, they were, it was the Valendi Valera and their, their backs were faster and more powerful than everybody else's. And that's how they overwhelmed teams. So yeah, they haven't really been known as sort of a team loaded with dominant forwards in the past few years. And I think that is, you're right. That is how you beat the Sharks. And, you know, it's another week without Tom, to, uh, Jake Tobojevic, who they missed last week, of course. And whilst people love to make jokes about Jake Tobojevic, that's still a big, that's still a gigantic loss in the middle of the park. And whilst Paseca, I think, had a fine season, Olakawatu has been fantastic on that edge. Uh, and Alloy has had, you know, some decent-ish games. There's there's not been a lot else behind them. So I think that th- this is a game where if I think my boy, the Oregon Trail and Royce Hunt can hold their own in the middle, then Cronulla should be able to find enough advantages elsewhere on the field to eke out a win. That does feel like a big if, though. It the does. Oregon Trail oh, and, 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 and Royce Hunt, if, you're, if they're, they're the ones that are going to... And, and, set the tone for it's not a certain thing aggressively bald hero tom hazelton i like him i like him yeah i like good. how much he hates having hair he hates it he hates it he can't stand it he's been shaving his head twice a week since he was five years old you got to respect yeah. it the, yeah. the, two, the three guys that you mentioned before with manly olakowatu um aloe and paseka to me they really hold the keenest one Olko yeah. has been fantastic all year, even best, in a badly their, beaten their team against Brisbane yeah. last week. It was really, really good. Paseca has also been quite solid. I think he's probably had his best uh, patch in first grade over these first 10 weeks. And then when Aloye has sort of joined those two on that level, Manly have been quite difficult to handle. And when he hasn't, they haven't as much. So I think to me, that's the big one for Manly. If, if those three can set the tone physically – and knock the Sharks off their game a little bit, then I give Manly every chance. But I kind of agree with you in that I think the Sharks are going to be able to to weather the storm. I'm, re- I'm really, really hoping that Dale Finucane can, can dig deep and give us some of that good stuff um, because I think this year he's looked pretty off the pace a fair few times, um, and I, I he's a, a real favourite of mine, so I really want to see him get back to some of that football he's played in the past, some of that real tough Iron Man shit mm. that's really, really good. Like yeah. back when you were picking a team, you'd always pick Dale Finucan. So I, I, I really want him to to sort of lead from the front along with Kafusi and Hunt, which I'm hoping he'll be able to do. And I'm expecting the Sharks to then have too many points off the back of things. So chalk it up 47 of, what is it? 42 and seven. Yeah. It's coming. Win seven is coming. 
So they're going to win exactly 42 to 7 to mark that uh, inverse? You would hope so. That would be a real classy touch. It would be. Yeah, look at the Manly. The Manly don't have any firepower coming off the bench either, which, like, you know, the Sharks, it's not a world-beating bench, but Cam McInnes is no bum. Wade Graham's been a lot better the last couple of weeks. Let me mention Tommy Hadson and Jack Williams has some dog in him as well. So, yeah, I think if they can survive those opening exchanges, they should be okay. Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yes, it will, yes. Semi run run Oh, he's absolutely buried it. <laughs> okay, some news before we get out of here. Um, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. St. George Illawarra would need to offer Jason Rolls a five-year contract for the test for, former test forward to even consider the job, with his manager also flying to Melbourne for talks about the Storm Post. Jason Rolls... A coach in demand. Yes, well, geez, quite. If, you, if you had to choose between coaching the Melbourne Storm and the St. George Illawarra Dragons, I mean, it's a it's a real tough decision there. Well, I, I'll be I'm going on the record now. I don't think the Storm job will be there for Jason Riles next season. I think Craig Bellamy is going to stick around. I think he's done the thing that he's done the last couple of years where he starts the season. He's like, maybe this is my last one. And then he gets in the trenches and he's like, no, I actually want to keep doing this. So there's a chance that Craig Bellamy comes out tomorrow and says, no, nah, it's over. I'm done. But I am nailing my colors to the mast. I think he coaches the storm again in 2024, which means if Jason Riles wants to coach in the NRL, he's probably going to have to pick the dragons. And I don't know if they'll give him a five-year deal, but not even considering love, it unless he's offered a five-year deal. Terrible deals. What are you talking about? I love, well, I'm, I'm saying they're addicted to a 10-year deal. He just yeah, understands not? the place. He knows the club, Nick, which is the most important thing. Is I will give him club. a five-year deal if he makes Luke Bailey his lead assistant. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Get the ball down there. No, I, I think, yeah, I think I think if I was the Dragons and I was drawing up a wish list of coaches, Riles would probably be right at the top because, like, he seems to, without knowing, you know, what his process or his, or his style or anything like that, a lot of people at really successful clubs, a lot of really successful coaches – have a very big rap on him, worked at a lot of different places. He does have that St. George Illawarra pedigree, which I know we joke about, but I do think it's at least a little bit important. You know, he, he understands the club, mate, you know? So mm. I don't know. Yeah. 10 years. Why not? Phil, Luke Bailey by his side, Phil Bailey running the water. Just, just good stuff. Just early 2000s excellence on show. Who could object to that? Not, not I, that's for sure. Um, Jack Bird has apologized for his comments uh, at a press conference. Like he did manage to disparage Dragons fans whilst supporting his coach. Uh, people missed the quotes. He said, uh, fans don't really know too much about footy. I don't think they've got a lot to say about the people on field. And then the, the, the old faithful, I don't think they've ever played a game of footy. And he went on from there. I get his heart was in the right place. He was trying to defend his coach. But, mate, when you're two and, when you're two and seven or whatever, probably don't call the fans idiots. Yeah, yeah. Look, just like watching the the clip in its entirety, um, I sort of got the impression that he more meant they don't know what it's like when people are coming at you. You know what I mean? Like you don't know what it's like when the team's going bad and everyone's bagging you on, on Insta and all that sort of deal. But having said that, it was it was said in a really poor way, and he's been around long enough that he should have known better than that. And when and when you say things like that when the team is going this bad. It just it does come along as really it does come across as really churlish, 
you know i know we like we like having characters and we like having guys that don't just say well you know we're trying our best every week and all of that but i think yeah there's probably a bit of bit of poor judgment from birdie on this one um and despite all the murmurings Trent robertson has said that uh Joseph Swaley will not be going uh, to rugby earlier than expected. And that 2025 uh, release is still uh, what they expect to be on the cards. I mean, this comes, you know, days after. Um, There were rumors that he would be released early. I think maybe after today, we don't talk about this again, because I feel like this is one of those stories that's just going to keep going back and forth. And like, you know, I'm already bored of it. I think Robinson said it best when someone asked him about, Hamish McLennan, the Rugby Australia CEO, and he pretty much said, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep talking about this guy. Every time he talks, which is a lot, which is a lot, he talks too much. I don't like it. I don't like it, dude. Settle down. Settle down. Let your game speak for itself. Why are you talking about why are you talking about league all the bloody time? It's like how Valandis does it with AFL. I'm like, mate, it was cute for the it was cute the first couple of times, but every time you open your you know mouth, they get every time I open the missing. paper. Oh, mate, I just don't care. Like, just let it go. Let it go. Not our business. All right. Any other news? One, you good? Yeah, one more bit of news. Spencer Lenu out of tonight's game for the Panthers and also out of contention for Origin 1 with an injury. I can't remember exactly what it is, but our dear friend Scott Bailey was reporting it, and his word is law. Apart um, from last and week, I actually he think... said that he said that Tontavuj was and wasn't playing like three times. Yeah, that was Scotty. That was strike one. You better not get that wrong again. That's fair. But yeah, so Lenu Lenu out. Um, and I reckon I would have had him in my Blues team for game one. I would have had him off the bench. Yeah, he's a really good player. He's fantastic. He's been Penrith's best forward besides Yo for the entire time. Fitch Harris hasn't been in the team. It's been great. So. Well, it's it's kind of like uh, the, the the three blue starters will probably be Yo in in the middle will be Yo Haas and Paulo. They're all big minute guys, so you only need someone to come on for about twenty minutes, and you just need them to come on there and crack some heads. And there is no head cracker in the business who loves cracking heads more than Spencer Lenu. So I actually think this is a bit of a loss for Blues because I don't think they have another informed forward who can replicate his skill set. So. No, I know it's a bit. It's you know what? It's not too early to be talking origin. It's origin season. Once magic round is over, magic round is over. Yeah, magic round's over. It's, origin it's, it's origin is season. in. But yeah, it's a shame because I had him in my Blues team. I think he was a big chance, and uh, yeah, he's gonna have to wait that little bit longer at least. Indeed. All right. Before we get out here, quick shout out to the people in the top two tiers on our Patreon subscription service. If you'd like to support us, patreon.com forward slash reviews. You get a third podcast every single week, as well as access to our Discord server, merchandise discounts, and some other things as well. A thank you to Chris Avnell, Dave, Rocky and Rafi, Stu, Where's Wayno, Alex Sergicomi, Butsy, Chivak Snuffleupagus, Dan Cullen, David, Doc Hogg, an anonymous backer, Ed Burton, Frankie, Horsburgh Scores, but Jace Felix Farnworth, Jason, Joel Wrigley, John, Josh Brandon, Kick Souths Out of the Cop, Lachlan Hancock, Lifelong Dolphins fan, Luke Charles Smidwell, Matty Jenkins, Matthew Duggan, Michael Murray, Mr. Beefy, Morgan Watkins. My name is Matt Bungard and I love Taylor Swift. My team's bench is your team's marquee. My ding ding dong is hard and I am sad. Never trendy. Pat McManus, Ray Stone Gossard, Reese Brown, Rowan Edwards, Roxanne Clark, Shunter, Ty, TB, the Black Vegetable, the Combat Vehicle, Thor, Tom Hardy, Was, and West Lies Podcast. Thank you so much for your support. To everyone in the lower tiers and to everyone who just listens, thank you as well. Nick, the Combat Vehicle is P. Campton. Who is that? <laughs> I'll never tell. Shout out Combat Vehicle. I know we would have loved that Western chat earlier. Buzzard's got to eat same as worms. 
Yep. And shout out to Westlife's podcast too. Again, I just mentioned they had me on yesterday um, to preview the game. So if you're a Tigers fan or a South fan, maybe give maybe give them a listen as well. If you like this podcast, it was just more of me being wrong about things. So you'll, you'll probably like it. You guys can listen to us being wrong in the loudest ways every single week. Why would you give up that chance? Imagine if like you just won arguments by being the loudest. We'd never lose. We'd be presidents. We'd be co-presidents. I've won arguments by being the loudest. Of course. You've, 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 seen me, you've seen me do it. The only thing that can trump loudness is chucking shit. <laughs> An unbeatable one-two punch. That's true. The, the, if elected, we will yell at people and then throw shit at them. Well, he's got my vote. Vote early, vote, early, vote often. Uh, so I think voting often is illegal. Throw shit at him. Get him. Done. Get him. All right. So you're coming back tomorrow morning. You got any games this weekend? Uh, probably not this weekend. No, but yeah, tomorrow morning, finally coming back to Sydney after a wonderful week up here, North of the border. I just did one final scout of the streets and there's no magic left. I assume I'm going to have to come and rescue you wandering aimlessly around like a magician school at like three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, searching for magic, traumatizing the children. (laughs) He's looking, he said he's looking for magic. It's not. It's not a. It's not a quantitative thing. We can't hand him anything. He won't leave. I've given him six top hats. What would you? Do with six he keeps top throwing hats? cans of forex at me. I don't like it. What would you do with six top hats? Um, I don't know. I've become a hat guy in recent years, yep. but I don't think I can quite pull off a top hat. Yet. I don't think anyone can pull off a top hat unless you're like a super old man. I don't know. The Raiders put up a really shitty video last week of Tom Starling doing magic tricks mm. that were all blatantly not magic, not even in the sleight of hand way. Like coin I'm, behind the I'm ear shit or? Worse. Like, oh, good. But I will say he wore the top hat well. He was wearing a top hat in the vehicle and I don't know. He looked like a well, he looked like a wealthy landowner. Well, good for Tom Starling and good for us because we're getting out of here. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the rugby league. Say goodbye, Campo. Goodbye, Bertrand. And it's goodbye from next.